Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Uh, it's Andy Richter, and I am thrilled to be here today with a relatively recent friend of mine, but a, a, but a wonderful friend of mine, and somebody who has been um, kicking around television and broadcasting for a long time, and has had a wonderful career. Uh, and I got to know her from the goofy world of game shows. Uh, I'm a, a become a fairly frequent guest on Twenty Five Words or Less. And she is the host of it, among the many things she's hosted. And I'm really, really thrilled that she could make it here today. Uh, it's Meredith Vieira. Hi, hey, Andy. How you are you? Knew you knew me from Conan. That that has been, you know, Conan O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> well, that well, you know what? I actually knew you from living in Chicago and seeing you on CBS News. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah, you were. I mean, I didn't. You know, I mean, I wasn't a stalker or anything. But when <laughs> when you started coming to national prominence, I was like, oh, she was a reporter on Channel Two. And well, you know, I actually like, wasn't a reporter on Channel Two, but I worked in the Midwest Bureau. So is I that went what it was? PM every day. Yeah. No, because I. Oh, I just remembered your name. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, it's like Lester Holt when he became a national broadcaster. I was like, oh, he was out here in Chicago. It's just, an, you know, Bill Curtis. When Bill Curtis started becoming, you know, the master of murders, it's like our local anchorman for years and years is now, you know. He and, was the anchorman when I was out there for CBS News. You know how I ended up in Chicago? I started at CBS News in January and in the in the Northeast Bureau. So I was going to be in the New York Bureau. And right before I started that network job, I went and got a permanent for my hair because my hair is really straight and I wanted to have a little more body. And it didn't really work. So I did it again. And my hair started, it got so brittle, it started breaking off. And here I'm about to start this major job oh my God. at the network. And I knew part of the reason I got the job is appearance. You know, that's part of the game. Yeah. So I showed up there. It was winter. So I wore a hat. And I wouldn't take it off. And finally, one of the executives about five days in said, you're in a building. Can you take off your hat? Who is this person? I took it off and I I could see it in his eyes. I could see the whole thing like, oh, my God. And that that probably happened on a Wednesday or Thursday. And the following Friday, the head of of CBS News uh, called me on the phone. He said, you know, we think you'd be good in Chicago. Oh, boy. And I was sent to Chicago crying because it's winter and I'm in Chicago. But and well, I you could wear, wear a hat, hat every day. Yeah. <laughs> 
outside <laughs> reporting on it was rough economic times when I started that job. And by the spring, my hair looked great. And I was very well established as a correspondent. <laughs> so sometimes that, having bad perm pays off. That's well, it's also it's kind of like it, it's like if you. You know, if, you know, you were a pitcher and you had a skateboarding accident and they send you down to the minors because you you hurt your arm. It is. Right. It's, it's so weird. And it is. It is that weird overlap of appearance in broadcast journalism. Yeah, you know, like yeah. if you had been a print reporter, you could have shaved your head and they probably wouldn't. Care, <laughs> <you know? laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I understood it. I did and I didn't. Um, yes. But as it turned out, I, I probably never would have lived in Chicago. And I loved I spent three years there and I love Chicago. I it's had a great town. Time. It's a great, great town. Yeah. So I was I, blessed. And also to be in the Midwest. I'm a you know New England girl, grew up in New England. So I'm very East Coast oriented. And to experience the Midwest was for me fantastic. Yeah. Now, that's you grew up in in Providence, right? Yeah. In Rhode Island. And yeah. uh, and I and you are full on 100 percent Portuguese. Both sides, Azorian. Yeah, my parents wow. are from my parents' parents. My parents are first generation. They came from San Miguel and Fayal. My father's father actually was a priest. Oh wow! So very educated. One of the few groups of people that were provided with an education in the Azores. He was shipped to New Bedford to head up a parish, and he liked the ladies. So he ended up having an, a relationship with a young woman at the parish, they got kicked out. I mean, they ran away on yeah. the train. I didn't even know this. Somebody did my, uh, my bag. My father omitted this information. And I found out that uh, he, yeah, he had been kind of a philanderer. So he, he was kicked out of uh, the church and he ended up starting the first newspaper in New Bedford because wow. he was a very smart guy. Wow. So, yeah. I love that he was a bit of a renegade and they stayed married. I mean, this was the, the rest of his life. He was with her. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I have a similar one where my my grandmother, my my uncle is, a li, you know, like kind of a number of years older than the re, the cluster of the kids that yeah. my mom came from and found out my grandmother had had an affair with the dashing young head of the teacher's college in Nebraska. She was going to. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And her father tracked him down and made her marry her and then he took off again so wow yeah and so yeah she was a single mother in whatever 1930 something you know and that was a different world a totally different world she must yeah. have been a very strong woman the manager she that. was she yeah. was she was i mean it you know i mean it was a comp she had a complicated relationship with her own agency you know like she was yeah. she was a, a good friend of phyllis schlafly's but also one of the most like powerful dynamic women i'd ever known you know just in terms of getting stuff done and making sure that her husband wasn't just the nice small town guy that he was that he became a political force like yeah it was yeah. it was interesting stuff now, yeah that's funny because my, my mother was sort of the force behind my dad my dad was a a gp you know family dog mm -hmm. kind who went out at two in the morning when a patient called but my mom was the tough guy on the phone he would route the calls through our house so that it looked like he had a secretary so my of mother course. would be his secretary but she she was the the tough old bird as she likes to refer to herself or like to refer to herself so she made sure that uh everything ran on time and was efficient and all of that now was that do you think that's kind of where you got the nerve to decide that you could 
you know, get into this very male dominated world of broadcast journalism? I do think so. Um, I, I very much admired my dad and I put him on a pedestal and I learned what hard work means from him. He was a really hardworking man and so kind. He, most of his patients were Azorian and they came to this country and they had heard of Dr. Vieira wow. in the Azores. He said, when you get to East Providence, look up Dr. Vieira, he'll be your doctor. And so, so many of them had no money, no jobs when they arrived. So they would do chores for my dad. He'd say, don't bother about paying me. Can you mow my lawn? So there was always some stranger on our property or lots and lots of homemade wine in the basement because they would make it for my dad and my mom. My mom would go, well, you do need to get paid. And he said, it'll all work out. And yeah, it did, yeah, yeah. of course. He had he, hospital he, privileges and he worked there. So whatever. But my mom, my mom was this interesting combination of a um, housemaker, homemaker, and somebody who uh, had always been an independent person. And she instilled that in me. I remember yeah. as a little kid saying, I want to be a nurse, which is a noble profession. And she went, no, you're going to be a doctor. Because she thought at that point, little girls didn't think in terms of being a doctor. They, right. The only thing available was being a nurse. So she in my, put it in my head early on that uh, I had three older brothers that I was as good, probably better than them, and could do whatever they wanted. So yeah, I think the chutzpah part came from my mom. Yeah, that, well, it's nice that, you know, she expanded your horizons beyond, because it it does seem like that's, you know, I know I there are relatives in my life, women in my life that will say, I wish I was a, had been an engineer, but that just isn't what women did. But they also, right. too, they didn't have anybody to tell them, say, why can't you? Exactly. You know, you're good at math. Do Do math, you know, not like, Girls aren't supposed to do math, so right. Um, so, so as a as a child, you, now did you say you were the oldest? I'm the youngest. Or the I youngest, the youngest. Three older brothers. Yeah, my brother Edwin was is ten years older. My brother Steve was five years older. He passed away from Alzheimer's actually early mm -hmm. onset. And my younger brother of the three, Jeff, is uh, fourteen months older than me. And did that? I mean, did you end up kind of uh, on the tougher side having just, you know, being the smallest or were you protected? Uh, not really. <laughs> I wasn't uh -huh. really protected by my parents, but I don't think by my brothers particularly. But I was a very much a tomboy. Yeah. Uh, you know, you'd usually find me up a tree, not uh -huh. uh, sitting beneath it, you know, with a doll or whatever. Right, right. And my mother tells this story. She told it to the uh, so many times that I can actually see it happening when uh, clearly I didn't remember it. Exactly. And when I was two or two and a half, I, she went to pick up my brother, Jeff, at nursery school. And there was this kid bullying him. And I chased the kid all the way up the jungle gym, that structure, and punched him in the face. And my mother thought that was great. <laughs> you know, she never once felt that's inappropriate. Use your words. It's like, yeah, bash that kid in the head. Yeah, use your fists. Yeah, use right. your fists, honey. Use your fists. <laughs> that's it. Ball it up and bang. <laughs> well, were you a good student? Did you like school? Yes, I yeah, yeah I, I loved school. I started school at the age of two um, at a place called Lincoln School. It's a Quaker school, all girls. Uh -huh. And I'll never forget. I mean, you know how there are things that stay with you the rest of your life. There was a, a little red house uh, there at the at the school in the courtyard or the recess area. And every day they'd send us out with buckets of water and they say, paint the house. And we'd say, well, it's water. And she said, you can turn that to red because it was faded and you put the, the water on and it would suddenly look very red. And 
maybe I wasn't that bright, but I thought, wow, I can do anything. I can turn this shabby structure into this unbelievable. And then right. it never hit me that every day it still looked the same. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyway, and also, that, and I, I and also that they're training you in manual labor, basically. <laughs> You know, that's like my, well, my just kids in case went, it doesn't work out. Your studies don't work out. You, my, yeah, you can how it be a house painter. My son went to Montessori school yes. and, you know, it's all like these little task driven things. Yeah, and yeah. I really I was thinking, well, at the time that, that that Maria Montessori was coming up with this stuff, I mean, in addition to it being a new kind of brain simulation for kids, it's also it is teaching them light manufacturing. Like, so it's like, it's probably in those days, I was like, oh, yeah, he's going to have to put stuff together, for, you, know, that, you know, so might as well learn now. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so was that- I loved an all girls education. I really I'm a big proponent of it. For, yeah. Especially when I was in school, I graduated in 1971. And back then, you know, we were talking about women and, and what the opportunities available to them. And when you went to an all-girls school, at least this one, they really drilled into you the importance of education, your ability as a woman. It was very, in, it was a weird combination because on the one hand, very, very liberal, um, very feminist in their approach to the, the, their students. On the other hand, they were in their own ways, pretty repressed, our teachers. So a lot of them actually were lesbians and were not able to come out of the closet, mm-hmm. you know, so there was a whole thing going on there. But um, but I I got a great, great education. And my closest friends to date are the ones that I knew since the time I was very little. We're wow. still. So, so it was a K through 12 kind of school nursery through. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was wow. there from the age of two to the age of 17. Six, yeah, 17. I, and I imagine that, well, you know, because my daughter has a K through 12. She's going to mm-hmm. have a K through 12. She's in a sophomore now, but. Um, I think that that kind of stability and that kind of continuity is really is really special. And it really does make you feel. I don't know, just like more secure about the world, you know, like the world, like things stay in one place. Whereas if you move all over the place, it might, you know, it gives you skills. I think that kind of thing, you know, it gives you sort of skills that are sort of where you might be a little more spontaneous or you learn how to adapt to different situations. But I think also just feeling like, no, no, this is, I'm steady on a steady path, I think is, is really good. And if you make strong friendships there, which, which I did, those are the kinds of friendships that last forever. And the the sort of people that you can rely on, which Mm -hmm. is why I said they have remained um, my closest friends. So the Mm -hmm. girls that I met at, at Lincoln school, I, I thought it was great. I mean, I like a uniform. I didn't really want to have to worry about what I was going to put on. And and you never knew who had money at that school, who didn't, because right. everybody looked alike. And I thought yeah. that was great. And they seriously um, emphasized academics there. You know, yeah. we were the smart girls and you're smarter than your brother's school, uh, which was Moses Brown. That was the all boys Quaker school. So, yeah. Well, do you think do you think if you just gone to regular old public school that you do you think there's a chance you would have still ended up in the same line of work that you were in or? You know, I don't think that going to private school, all girls is why I ended up in the line of work that I am in because like my son, I did not have any interest in being a journalist. I, I was at Tufts university. I wanted to go to Harvard. I didn't get in. Um, My father. I'm so sorry. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but uh, you know what's really embarrassing? Oh, you son. might have had a good life if you'd gotten into Harvard. <laughs> I know. In retrospect, I know how stupid. <laughs> but um, I remember at the time. Uh, well, actually, I wanted to go to Colgate because it was all boys. It had just been established as an all boys mm. school. And, my, and I that was the, the downside of an all girls school. And my parents yeah. went, they didn't know I applied. And they went and I got in and they went, no, you're not going to school just because it's all boys. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I really want Harvard. I didn't get in. And my father, who went to Harvard, and my older brother went to Harvard, he writes a letter like, why isn't she been why hasn't she been accepted? And unfortunately, they responded <laughs> and they said, well, here, here's the grade point average of this person versus your daughter or whatever it was. And yeah. they weren't mean, but they just they I guess they respected him as an alumni. They wanted to explain why I was not accepted and yeah, <laughs> all the reasons yeah. I didn't want to know. But I ended up going to Tufts University and I um, in Medford and Somerville, Massachusetts, uh-huh. and I had no direction. I went in as a theater major. But I quickly learned I would become a waitress if I stayed in theater because I just didn't I, I could see the skill levels of other students. and I didn't think mm-hmm. I had it. Um, and then I was French. I was astronomy. I was math. I, I was everything under the sun. And my senior year, the dean of the school, one of the deans called me in and said, do you even want to graduate? And I said, well, yeah. they said, well, you're you don't have enough credits in any area except potentially English. But you better load up on English classes. So I did. And they offered this journalism class uh, in broadcast journalism, radio. And I don't even know why I took it, Andy. It was their their winter break period. We had these courses that were not no grade. They lasted six weeks. Mm-hmm. And I took the thing. I took that in badminton in this winter break. And period. it's like and, uh, one, one of those one credit things. Kind yeah, of? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the, the final assignment was great. It was taught by a reporter, Les Woodruff from WEI, which was all news radio in Boston, uh, AM. And the last project he had for all the students was he divided us into groups. He said, you're each going to do a radio documentary. Ours was on redlining, uh, this effort to keep people, minorities out of particular areas of the city in terms of real estate housing. Mm -hmm. And so I worked with a team. I think there were four or five of us and we all reported it. We all produced it. We wrote it. And then they had to pick a narrator and they picked me. So they brought in the head of CBS News to listen, to, to critique everybody's work, you know, constructive criticism. And after he heard our documentary, our little radio documentary, he said, who, who is that? And I raised my hand. He said, I need to talk to you. And I thought, oh, Jesus Christ, what is this now? You know, I'm, not, yeah, I'm definitely yeah. not going to graduate. And I went outside at the end of the class and he said, um, Bill Shermer was his name. And he said, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I said, I have no idea. I really, and I really didn't. My mother had actually yeah. sent me to secretarial school the summer before because she said, basically, you're not going to come home. You're going to get a job. That's what yeah, you do. You right. a job. And, and how far away from graduation were you at this point? January. Wow. So we just had it was just at the end of the class. So it was probably the end of January. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, so only a few months. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, I do. You're going to have a big career. And he hired me as an intern. Wow. EI on the spot. And, and that was and I just I was too ignorant to even think it through and go, well, wait a minute. I don't even throw I like this stuff, but I just said, OK, I'll do it. And here I am now. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's yeah. really, I mean, you know, well, and also, too, I think that that not being able to decide and going all, you know, in all different kind of directions is probably one of the best educations you could have got for what you do. Totally. You know, you it's a very Catholic, not the religion, but you know, the the other definition of Catholic. It's a very Catholic kind of 
job. You got to know all kinds of stuff about all kinds of stuff because every day is going to be different. It actually um, fit my personality because that's the way I was in college. Yeah. I was all over the map. I liked everything. Yeah. You know, I thought I I thought this would be it. And then I figured, eh, not that. Maybe this. And that's very much what being a, a general assignment reporter is. Every day it's something new. Yeah. Yeah. I I see I'm the same way. And I I also I went to film school because I knew I wanted to work somewhere within that industry. But when I got out, I started working freelance. I mean, I was a furniture mover, too, but I started working freelance in film production in Chicago. And I instantly figured out every job is different. It's a different set of faces. It's a different place. It's a different job. You know, some jobs were like a boring job where you shoot a loaf of bread on a table for all day. <laughs> and then other ones, it was, you know, Michael Jordan was doing a Wheaties commercial and um, and the I just realized, oh, this is what I need. I need different stuff all the time. Like, and that's really, I responded so well to a freelance life. And then I went on to work at the, with the same guy for about 30 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the show would change every day. Oh, the show, absolutely. Yeah. The show was yeah. different every day. I mean, it, you know, it was, it wasn't, I didn't set out to be myself on TV. I wanted to be characters on TV, but I mean, I have no complaints. It was, a, it's been, you know, thrilling and wonderful and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm very lucky to have had that job, but it was just, it was just funny to me that like, I just expected that I would be doing different stuff all the time. And then I ended up being in one yeah, right. place, but you know, it's a, it was a pretty good place to be. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Um, so did I, I mean? Was it? There was never any doubt. So it, like you just knew. Like how? What a gift too to have within a few months to know. Like okay, here we go. Here's the rest of my life. Yeah, but I mean, well, my internship ended, and so I graduated in '75, and I applied to be a writer uh, for radio, and I didn't get it. But the I've, I've just been really lucky. I'm sort of like Mr. Magoo in the business. There's <laughs> been a lot of lucky breaks. The the uh, news director, Mike Ludlam, liked me. Thought this is a good kid. You're yeah. not quite ready to be a writer. He hired me as a secretary, and clearly, although I had gone to Catherine Gibbs and learned typing and shorthand, I <laughs> really was bad at it. He he ended up redoing all my work at the end of the day because of a lot of typos of <laughs> that. So he made it his mission to find me a job behind my back. And he found this job at WORC radio in uh, uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, reading the news. It was a top 40 station and uh, I applied for it and I got it. And then that really jumpstarted my career after yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, and, and how does, how do you progress in that? Like, do you send tapes around, you know, or does somebody hear I, you in Worcester? Yeah, I mean, this was, look, I got, it was the reason I got in as an intern was because of my voice. Clearly, that's why he hired me, because he didn't mm -hmm. have anything else to go on. Um, when I got WORC, it was my voice for sure. I mean, I was an eager kid. 
And that's all they needed. And I was just ripping and reading copy, you know, AP copy or UPI or Reuters, whatever it was, the top of the hour. And then I got a a job in television because the head of the WJR TV in Providence called my station looking for somebody else, the radio station. And I'm on the phone. He says, what do you do? And I told him, he said, oh, are you interested in television? I said, uh, you know, again, like, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. And he said, well, we have a job opening on the weekends. This was around the time where the quotas, if you were a woman or a person of color, you were a quota for them. So I went uh, to Providence. I met Arthur Albert was his name. And I think that he sized me up and he thought, yeah, why not? And I got that job, a weekend reporter at, wow. at uh, Channel 10. So it's not, I didn't really ever send out a lot of tapes. I just kept landing and stuff. And then really were, I mean, if I've learned anything through my life is hard work is everything. Mm -hmm. And there's no cutting corners. At least I haven't found that in my life. And I also, when you, when you question why you got a job, I also felt like I'm going to be much better than everybody else. I'm going to work that much harder to prove that I deserve where I am. I always felt a little bit, and I would talk to other people who'd been brought in who felt like, you know, I know there's a certain amount of resentment because I'm here because I'm a woman or I'm here. My friend Ryan, friend of mine who was African-American felt it very strongly too. So we sort of bonded and said, we, we have just got to be the best we can be yeah. as we're facing certain amount of resentment, which I understood, but you know, that was the way things happened back then. Right. Well, and, and it I also, wouldn't have gotten the job otherwise. That's the way things happen. That's the way, yeah. that's the way yeah. equity happens. It's, exactly. You know, it seems unnatural for a while, but it's like, well, yeah, because unfairness has become what feels natural. And right. I mean, I'm ex- I experience it now because and and I, people complain out here because, uh, you know, it's like, oh, a white man can't get a job. It's like, well. White men kind of had it really good for a long time, you know, and this, this is not this is not uh, unfairness. This is fairness. This yeah. is what fairness feels like. Uh, what wasn't unfair was that sometimes you you get these jobs and then you knew people were rooting against you. Yeah. I never felt the kind of support going in that I would have assumed would would um, go hand in hand with being hired. Yeah. And I think that was because there was that. Mm, People getting their back up like, yeah, we know why you're here. Right, right. So that's why yeah. I, I kind of had to prove them wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, and also because, yeah, I mean, you said it right at the beginning, you know, you were, you, you are an attractive woman. And so that is a, you know, that's worth, that's worth money in television. That's worth, that is, <laughs> and these guys, and they, well, you know, it still is pretty much mostly men um mm-hmm. they you can't you can say well that's not fair and they're like yeah but check the numbers yeah you know and they're and it is they have they have this like the the big just the kind of dopiness of the general viewing public as a huge behemoth is pretty dumb and likes really simple dumb stuff that <laughs> is not challenging and that, you know, like, I mean, I was just talking to somebody the other day because when I was young and I thought, like, what about a TV show that's different all the time? And now I realize, no way. Nobody's no, nobody at home is like, I want to be challenged here on the couch. They're all like, no, I want the same. I want the same. Give me my pablum. Yeah, yeah. Give me my, you know, give me my pacifier, you know, my whoopee. Um, and I, you know, and I also 
I also think too, it's, it's, it's interesting because I've thought uh, things that have, you know, I, I saw something the other day because, well, what I was going to say is it's not only that people resent you too, but you bear the burden of the female in the broadcast journalist workplace, because if you screw it up, then the P- the powers that be can say, see, we tried and it That's doesn't right. work. And That's I, exactly right. People that now, you know, I mean, I mean, this is sort of, this is kind of dishy, but you know, like James Corden is retiring and that show, it's really hard to get people to watch a late night show. And I've seen articles about now it's time to give a, you know, a person of color or a woman, you know, uh, you know, just somebody that's not a white guy, this slot in this show. And I, my feeling is if I were a person of color, I don't think I would want that because (laughs) you would be put into a position where you're probably going to fail because people just aren't watching talk shows that late at night. And I just am so sensitive to the notion that they would put somebody in, they put an Amber Ruffin in there, or they put a Ali Wong in there and it wouldn't do well because it's not doing well. Sorry, James Corden, Uh but it's, and then the powers that be would be, see, we tried, we tried a blank blank, you know, you know, I mean, fill in the blank, an African-American woman or, you know, a a gay Latino or whatever. And they would have a reason to say, "Uh uh-uh, we already did that. So it's, you know, it's, I guess it's- Yeah, but if if James Gordon is not doing well, why would they make that leap that it's because it's a woman or a person of color that it's not doing well? As opposed to just saying the slot is not a good slot for for this kind of show. Uh, Because- <laughs> because they're shitty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> the obvious. How can I miss it? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, it's like you know, it's like when they when they put a show on at six different times and they go like, it just didn't find an audience. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, fucker. You know, you you baked a bunch of pies and you put them in an auto parts store. Like <laughs> people don't like these pies. They're not because they don't know where to find them. Dummy. You know, that's exactly anyway. right. I've, yeah. I've seen that in my uh, career many times over where they, there used to be a time where they would allow a show to grow. Yeah. And I don't think that exists anymore. It doesn't. They give you your certain number of weeks and, and good luck if the audience even has found you by then. Mm-hmm. I know with our game show, we're just getting discovered and we're four years in. Yeah. You know, so it it takes a long time. And in syndication, it's even worse because it's depending on the city, the hours change and all of that. But uh, you have to be a big enough. When I did The View after one year, they would have canceled our show except for Barbara Walters. If yeah. she had not been at the helm of The View, that show would not be on now. I can imagine, she, yeah. Yeah, she had such power at ABC and they had respect for her that they continued with that show. And it was a network show, which is, there's more longevity to that usually, or used to be than um, syndication. Right, right. Um, so they they stuck with the show and look at it now, all yeah. these years later. And also it's a, you know, it's it's, they're not splitting the money with anybody. You know, know, they own the show. They came up with the show. There's no studio. There's no syndicator. It's all every dollar that comes in is is their dollar. Yes. Um, Well, now I I don't want to get there just yet because I want to know when you transition from doing radio to TV, what is that feeling like? I mean, is it is it just another step in the progression or do you feel 
some real palpable difference between the one role and the other? Well, um, TV, you know, you're there, you're on camera. I'm a shy person. Believe mm-hmm. it or not, to be in this business, although I think a lot of people in this business actually they are, are shy. They are. It's very common. I mean, I feel yeah. the same way. I don't people. And when I'm out and people like, oh, there he is. He wants to. I'm like, no, I don't. I, I, I want to be left alone. I want to hide. You know? <laughs> or they assume that's right. Like, oh, you think you're such a big shot. <laughs> I don't. I no, do I some don't. silly little thing. Yeah. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Um, or the opposite. Oh, the has been, you know, what are you doing now, honey? <laughs> I know, I know. People have all different kind of ways to make oh. you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they're very comfortable doing it. <laughs> they sure are. It's natural. <laughs> it's very natural. Yeah. Well, I, again, I wasn't intending to be on television. I loved, I actually really loved radio. I, and that's why you're doing the podcast. This kind of thing is so appealing. I think it's just cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and I had great experience doing radio. So this was, you know, okay, well, I'll, I'll do this. Why not? It was just weekends. I had my radio gig during the week and then I was hired full time at Channel 10 as a television reporter. But um, I I was so busy just trying to keep afloat, to be honest with you, Andy, and learning the business and camera and video. And we edited our own material back then. So it was the days of the joystick, you know, on the editing machine. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually loved editing a lot. Um, Uh Uh-huh. Uh, but most of it was film. They had just moved into video tape. Uh, but I, I had so much to learn, and I was learning on the job. But yeah. thank goodness I was an English major because the one skill set I truly had was writing. Yeah, uh, being able to communicate, and I think that's what um, really helped me. I could, I was a good storyteller, and I, I enjoyed as shy as I am. I liked telling other people's stories. I did not want to be the focus. And back in the day when I started in television, seventy six. Um, you were almost never on camera. It was all about the camera being directed at somebody else. Now mm-hmm. the reporter is the celebrity. But back then right. it wasn't like that. And I really loved giving people a platform. And that's that's what drew me into being, uh, you know, on air as a reporter, that I had this opportunity to give a voice to folks who wouldn't have one otherwise. Yeah. And well, now, how do you get from there to hosting? Where, what, how does that transition start to happen? Well, I was discovered by uh, um, literally by one of those guys that lurks around hotel rooms. So, no, they're I go to the calls. They're watching in every hotel room. And this man called me up out of the blue. He said, "I saw you in Providence. I've been in. Uh, what do you call those guys? Uh, headhunters." Yeah. And I wasn't gonna. I said, "Oh, please." And he wanted to me to put together a tape. And the uh, director at Channel Ten News said, "You should just do it." Just do it. Why? What are you scared of? So I did put together a tape. And two weeks later, New York City called CBS in in New York, a local channel, two, And they wanted to meet me. So I think me in an odd way, maybe the fact that I I, everything came at me so fast, I didn't have a time time to process it and get nervous. Mm -hmm. So I just went. I I didn't think it through enough to go. You don't deserve to be going to Channel two in New York. It was to me. It was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, sure, I'll go. And I went and. Yeah, I think that's very, very prescient because, yeah, yeah, that's I, I, I think that's very prescient because I think that that's very true with a lot of people. If you don't have time to think about it, then, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, yeah. and if they think I can do it, then. All right. I mean, it'd be, well. rude, it'd be rude to, like, <laughs> tell them they're wrong. <laughs> They'll discover that soon enough. So I went and I interviewed by Steve Cohen, who's the news director, and then the GM, the general manager, whose name is escaping me right now. And the last thing they did was they had me watch the broadcast with them. 
and just the three of us in the room and, and Steve Cohen says to me, and I think I'd be doing pretty well all day. Uh, and he said, what do you think? And I don't know if you've seen a lot of local news in New York, but I thought it was terrible. Yeah. It was just, you know, like if it, if it bleeds, it leads. That was yes. the you know, yes. standard for local news. And I said, well, I got to tell you, I don't, I think we do a better job in Providence. We have a lot more political coverage and the economy. It seems like this is mostly crime. And and he's looking at me and doesn't let on anything. And the GM's looking at me, they're okay. And said, well, what would you do? And I said, well, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not you, but you asked for my opinion. And so I said, well, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. I did end up getting the job, but maybe a year later, his secretary, Lee, who had became, we became very, very close friends, she said, you know, what you, what you may not know is after you left, Steve Cohen said, there's no way I'm going to hire her. And the GM said, yes, you are. She's very direct. She tell, she speaks her, her truth. And I think it takes a lot of guts to sit here with us and say what she really thinks. And yeah. I got the job. Duh. <laughs> it is it is the, mo- <laughs> the most, <clears throat> and it's. You can't fake it. No. But the the somebody when you're when you have an opportunity for somebody for whether it's, you know, like to ask them to dance or to ask them to marry you or to give them a job and they and they give you the impression okay, I'm open to it, but I don't need you right. and I'm going to be honest with you and I'm perfectly fine on my own. That <laughs> That makes people go, ah, I need you, you know, and, and I have seen it. I've seen it in my own career where when I really kind of feel like, oh, I got, you know, and I mean, I learned it over time. There's nothing more alluring than, all right, whatever, you know, okay. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't want it. You know, we got this big job for you. All right, great. Oh, it looks fun. But, you know, if you don't, no big deal. Then, yeah, well, I wasn't crafty oh, enough oh to really think that through. No, I know, but I, but you, but work. it's but it works that way. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, it does work that way. And it and you and you know, so too, it's good you didn't have the craftiness to go through <laughs> that. That you just had it as an instinct to like, yeah. you know, what's there to lose? I'm gonna, you know, I got to work here, so I got to be myself. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I ended up having a great experience there. Really great. And Steve Cohen and I became very good friends and he yeah. was a fantastic boss to have. So it all worked out. But yeah, yeah. And then I got I was brought in by the we shared the same building uh, on West 57th Street with uh, the network. There's just uh-huh. a different hallway you went down. And I one of the um, vice presidents called me in and asked me about working for the network. And that was it was the Detroit Convention. So I'm trying to remember what year that was. And I was being sent there by Channel 2. And I said, you know, I'm not ready for the network. I, I, I think I'm going to stay where I am. I have an opportunity to cover a convention and I just I'm going to stay. And this uh, vice president, John Lane, said, you know, we don't ask twice. I said, OK, but I'm I, I want to succeed and I don't feel I'll succeed if I move now. I feel I need some more um, work at my craft. And so I, you know, he said, okay. And I left. And then about a year later, they came back and said, do you want the job? I said, yeah. I yeah, yeah. Now I'm ready. So you do ask twice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't add that. But, that. but then I showed up with my hair all breaking <laughs> off. And they went, shit, why yeah. didn't we offer this twice? Send her to Chicago. <laughs> she's a Chicago 10. But now she's a New York 5. <laughs> 
Oh, my God. Yeah. But then, I mean, do you start to think about hosting things more or I mean? No, I. I, I, So my career is so weird. I for people listening. They're probably how did this woman survive? But I'm I'm now I'm in a reporter in uh, at CBS News. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And they made me a national correspondent, which means I could go all over the country, which was great. Mm -hmm. And they moved me to New York. And then. I was asked to do this new show called West 57th to be one of the hosts. Oh, yeah. There. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I finally reached this point where I'm excited. I don't want to do a magazine show. I like the job I have. I'm working for Dan Rather. This this is pretty great. Yeah. And they, Dan Rather called me and he said, Meredith, sometimes you have to do what the company wants you to do. It's important. And he said, Andy Lack is at the head of this. He's very skilled. He's very talented. This is a great opportunity. We'll be here if it fails. Although I don't know whether they would have been there if I failed, but mm-hmm. he said, I think that it's important that you take one for the team. They were building this show with young correspondents to sort of not rival 60 minutes, but be sort of pairing with 60 minutes. They were the older group. We were the young Turks heading in. Right. And so I took the job and I'm so glad I did. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was long form storytelling, which I did not have the opportunity to do in news. Most of our pieces were a minute 15. Of course. And in, in uh, magazine format, it was, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it was, as long as you needed to tell the story. And I, yeah. I grew tremendously from that. And it led me to 60 minutes. Did you, were you thinking of it before you did it as kind of like reporting is more of a prestigious kind of yes. classier thing? And this yes. is. Yeah, this is more entertainment. Exactly. Yeah, it was yeah. more flashy. And I wasn't, it, I was never interested in the flash. That kind yeah. of, I'm the one who did, never wanted to put my face on. Right. You know, so to me, a magazine show, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I was a huge fan of 60 Minutes. Right. And that was the only job in this entire business that I ever truly coveted, that I really wanted. Mm. Um, because that, I didn't read that as a, that, that had everything in it. You know, Morley Safer would do some of the featurey stuff, but then you had Mike Wallace who was hard hitting, and um, yeah, 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 all of those folks. And so, anyway, I yeah, I I didn't want to do it, and then I ended up loving it. And and starting a show from the ground, there's something amazing about being with a group of people. You don't know what you're going to get on the other end. You're all working common purpose, and and that was a great experience. Yeah. And today, anytime I can do that, I love to do that. Yeah, and it's also fun. I mean, I I. I say this with the experience of late night with Conan O'Brien, where, you know, some people definitely had national television, television experience, but they were like the two people in charge. The rest of us were just kind of making it up as we went because, you know, they just said, you know, I mean, I'd get sent, go to Mardi Gras and interview little Richard. And, uh, you know, I'm like, "Uh, okay, (laughs) you know, I I don't know how to do that, but I guess I'll figure it out because I'm on a plane now. (laughs) You better. Yeah, yeah. So I can imagine that just all of you kind of being in the same boat, it was probably fun because also you don't, you're not cluttered up with a bunch of rules. You know, you, you know, you sort of. That's right. uh, You go with your instincts. That's exactly right. And yeah. and that's what made it so great. Yeah. So much fun. But you know what? I You just said something about you're on the plane. So what are you going to do? I think one of the reasons you've been successful, one of the reasons I have as well, is that we're by nature inquisitive people. Yeah. And if you are like that, then you you can talk to anybody about anything yeah. because you care. You're interested. Yeah. Well, I'm always 
I mean, I don't know if it it, it applies to your business, but the, but to me, one of the secrets of doing a show, a strip show like Late Night with Conan O'Brien, that at least was sort of my North Star, was I need to pursue my own good time. You know, this show is meant to be mainly fun. People mm-hmm. are, this is like people eavesdropping on a conversation of, you know, crazy, funny weirdos. So I always felt like if I'm having a good time at it, then the audience will have a good time at it. And 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 that was the same. I mean, it would be the same when I was on a sitcom. I would be, you know, if there was a if there was a scene and I just thought this is boring to me, I would, you know, I would go, this is boring to me. And not, you know, just because like if you can make it fun for me, then A, I'll do better. I'll just be better. And, and the, I think it'll just be better. It'll just be better. And uh, so, yeah, I think you're definitely right about that. If you, you know, you can, you have to pursue, you have to pursue what you like. I agree. Uh, because if you're, pers- if you're pursuing something based on what somebody else likes, yeah, you're, you're not going to, it's going to be flat. It's not going to. That's be right. Good. You can't fake it. You yeah. can't fake it. Ultimately, yeah, yeah. The audience is smart. Yeah. And they can see when you're faking. And I think you have to let go of any kind of self-consciousness, which is not always easy for me to do. But no, you have it's to not. just be there, be present and yep. and not be afraid. Yeah. And be able to, like you said, when it's not working, it's not who you are. It, it doesn't resonate with you. You've got to be able to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I'm curious, too, be, uh, when does uh, and how does. Wanting a family, starting a family, starting a marriage, uh, enter into all of this very consuming career. Well, I met Richard in 1983, and I knew if 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 I was going to get married, it was because of, I wanted to have kids. Yeah. I was not like I need to get married. And so when we got married in 1986, that was the part of the plan that uh, we were going to have children. I always it was always in my equation. Um, I thought, I'll figure this out. Mm-hmm. I'll figure it out. And I, I have to admit that I started looking at the landscape of women in, in my position and very few, if any, had children back then. And none of the producers did yeah. um, because it would hold you back. Yeah. It was, what do you want? Do you want the career? Do you want the family? You're not going to have both. But I, again, maybe I wasn't thinking it through enough. I just said, well, I, I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have a life. That's yeah. very important to me. And then we proceeded to have a series of miscarriages. We had four in a row. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And uh, so by the time I was pregnant with Ben, uh, I, I, and I knew it was going to stick. And, and I had in my head if I ate literally a pint of ice cream every day that it would. So I was massive by the time I gave birth to Ben. But I had Ben. <laughs> and, I think that's, a pretty, that's now pretty standard wisdom among <laughs> obstetricians. You got to eat the ice cream. Oh, please. It, it solved so many problems. <laughs> but, um, but I, and it was pistachio. I remember that. Oh, that nice. was my favorite flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So green. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so anyway, and I was at, I was at um, West 57th then, and we were such a family, that whole show, that everybody knew about the miscarriages and they mm. were so supportive of me. And, and I remember Andy Lack used to say, go in your office, shut off the lights, take your nap, just take a nap. Because yeah. he knew what I got. They were, couldn't have been kinder. Yeah. And said, you know, you get your work done wherever you get your work done. Don't worry about it. Um, I want you to just, you know, feel good throughout yeah. all of this experience. So that was great. 
And then right before I was going to leave for um, maternity leave, I, I the baby was due on uh, Valentine's Day. So I was leaving the week before and I got called into um, the headquarters, CBS News headquarters, um, the president. And he said, look, it, we would like you to consider 60 minutes. I said, oh, man, I'm about to have a baby. But he said, well, this the position, Les, not Leslie Stoll, um, Diane Sawyer was leaving and they were going to hire two people. Steve Croft was one and I ended up being the other. Yeah. Fill her spot uh, for the first year, we would share the stories. We'd each do a certain number. And then the following year, we would be full-time correspondents. So I said, oh, my God, I don't know. I don't know. And I, and I, they knew how much I wanted that job. Who turns that down? Mm-hmm. And I came home and I sort of convinced myself. I said, OK, this is going to work. But I'm going to take Ben with me because, uh, you know, it's going to keep my priorities straight. So the whole time I'm sitting with Don and I have Ben, he's in a little stroller and I'm holding Ben's hand. Uh, because I just wanted to be sure in my own head that I knew what I was doing and that I was now a mother too. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the leap. And it was probably doomed from then on. Is he like a month old at this point or two? No, he was born in February. Yeah. And so uh, they they met me, I think in May. Oh, okay. Don and his sidekick, Phil, and they took me to lunch just to you know, so he was dried off at this point. He wasn't still wasn't still wet from birth. <laughs> if I were a different kind of person, yeah, I would have yeah, been yeah. right out. But yeah, I had them dry him off. Here's the baby. <laughs> well, that's great. And how and how long did uh, did uh, sixty minutes? How long were you there? We I was there of uh, two and a half years. I think I had been, and then. I'm trying to remember. I had been in 89 and in 1991, I got pregnant with Gabe mm-hmm. and it was, it was, it was not a great situation for me. All of 60 minutes. I loved the storytelling and I loved my producers, my team. And we worked very well together because I was extremely efficient. I being a m- new mom, I knew how to balance things, juggle things. Yeah. So I would, uh, write almost ex- exclusively at home. I never worked the office. I never played office politics, which was probably my biggest mistake. I wasn't there to schmooze, yeah. as they say, and all the guys were, and I just didn't do it. I did my thing and I left or I worked from home when I could. And when I was um, in the field with um, producers, what, what what might take five days, I would do in two. I'd say, let's just do back to back to back. Yeah. Um, and they were fine with that. So it, it, that in the terms of the content, it was great. But I was always divided in my head when I was in the field traveling. I missed my son when I was home and my husband, when I was home with them, I knew I wasn't giving everything I could to that show, which was incredibly demanding for a lot of reasons, which is why it's still so successful. It was Don's baby, really. Like I had mine, he had his. Uh, And then when I was, I found out I was pregnant with Gabe and I didn't say anything because I'd had so many miscarriages. I thought, let me wait and make sure before I, you know, say anything. And I got a phone call. I was probably maybe two months pregnant, maybe. And I got a call from Don from Paris. I don't remember the story, but he said, we want you on the next flight. It was the, when they had the Concorde and I stopped, you know, I said, Don, I can't. And he said, what do you mean you can't? I said, I'm pregnant and I can't fly. Um, And he, there was a silence and he said, I got to go. I got to find somebody to do this. And that was the beginning of the end. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't last. I, you know, gave you was born, but I think I, I left even before then. Yeah, there was just a meeting of the minds. He said, I can't, you know, he said, you're going to have, 
I was going to take six months, which I was entitled to. And he said, well, you still need to get all of your stories done for that year. And I said, I can't. You're taking away. I'm taking away six months. I can do a certain number, but not the same. And he said, well, then forget it. And I said, "Okay, forget it. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Well, I slept very well that night. I mean, and I understand his position totally, but I felt like he was waiting for an opportunity because I just wasn't the kind of I don't know. Yeah. Person that he necessarily wanted there. Yeah. But I mean, you know, that's it. it, Yeah. It's just, it just comes down to, it's not a right fit. It wasn't the right fit. I mean, and it's it's like, you don't even remember what story it was. So that'll tell you, you know, that'll, that'll tell you how important in in the long term that was. Exactly. You know, and the option was now is now on camera on CNN. The other option there, you know, is now an important CNN reporter, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Who has got an amazing um, perspective on life and yeah. is not, I mean, he put, he, he loves his job. He respects his job, but he also understands at the end of the day, there's a lot more to his life. And I, and I think that's great. Yeah. Cause it's you can big. get caught up in chasing, yep. you know, whatever this yep. thing is. Yeah. And also I think, uh, you know, it's another thing I've that I have gleaned from my years in television is if you give somebody the the message, whatever you want, boss, they they will take you up on it totally. And 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 when it and every time somebody said to me, "You do this little extra thing," and I'll. I mean, and explicitly said, and don't worry, I'll make it up to you or there will be some never, never once has anybody made it up to me when Mm -hmm. I've done something extra above and above and beyond. And I have seen people who say whatever you want, boss, get screwed repeatedly. And the people that say, no, you know what, I'm going to set a limit here. They usually kind of get respected more. I was going to say it comes down to respect. I, yeah. I don't think that you are respected when you'll just jump. Yeah. When someone tells you or how high when they say jump. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but you have to balance that with I get it. Like you have to put in your dues and there's a certain amount of grunt work and all of that. But if you let yourself be a lap dog. Yeah. That's what you'll be. Right, right. And most you can get is petted. That's it. Uh, <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah. Or they kick you to the curb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, were you. How long were you unemployed then? I guess I, I really wasn't. I they put me on a trial show uh-huh. on CBS until I had Gabe, and then after I had Gabe, I was at CBS. The early, early, early news. I think it came on at five in the morning nationally with John Roberts back then, who uh-huh. had come from Canada. Now he's, I'm not sure. I think he's with Fox now. He was with CNN for a while, but anyhow, he was new. And it was a nice guy. And and then yeah, yeah. I, I hated it so much. I'm not a morning person. Ironic since I did the Today Show. Yeah. But I'm, definitely, I'm not a morning person. So I, 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 I think I tried to get pregnant as quickly as possible. And I did. <laughs> and, and I did not. I was on different drugs to avoid miscarriage. And this time I, I didn't take them. And my doctor said it'll never stick. And uh, Lily stuck. No, <laughs> she wanted great. to be around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was off the air. I mean, I was I did that. And then while I was maternally with Lily, I got a phone call from this woman, Phyllis, uh, at ABC News, who wanted me to do, join a documentary unit. And I said, well, I'm having my third child or I've had my t- third child or. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I would just had Lily. And she said, so I don't know. And she said, we'll make this work. 
You can work from home. All you have to do is go in the field when, when the story is there. We want you. We love you. And so that was it. And I ended up doing that show, Turning Point, it was called. Mm-hmm. So I That's never great. really was out of work for any great length of time. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. My show was a failure. Are you trying to get to failure? I'll give you failure. <laughs> if well, that's, yeah, but, if well, that's, that's what we're going for in this hour. That's you the, going right to that. <laughs> that's the ridiculous thing about television, too, <laughs> is that when you have, I mean, because, you know, I was number one on the call sheet for three different primetime comedies. And, <laughs> and there are still people that like to call me a failure. Yeah. You know, when it's like, it's like, I don't know, that seems like I did pretty well, you know, exactly. and, and and it's the same thing you had. Your, there was the Meredith Vieira show. Yes. And 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 it was on, it was on for like over a year, wasn't it? Two years. Yeah. Two years. Yeah, not over a year. Two years. Two, two years. years. All right. All right. Already. Geez. Not touchy about it at all, are we? Oh, no, not me. <laughs> I only shake a little bit now when I think about it. <laughs> Well, does I mean, was that uh, we're we're t- you've got too much career because we're getting too long here, <laughs> and I definitely <laughs> want to get to game shows because that's that's <laughs> that's uh you know that's, uh, that's I, think I relate to you more. The talk show was uh, a lot of cooks. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm not to I'm not trying to be defensive at all because things certain things don't take. Yeah. you know, and they were looking to build an audience very quickly, and it wasn't happening as fast as they wanted. And um, you know, I get it. People, the yeah. decisions are made. I, I I respect the decision. I had a great experience doing it. The only embarrassing thing is they threw this big party at my house um, for the staff. I threw it, but, you know, they paid for it. Right. right. Um, and so they made these umbrellas to go by. We have a pool and they made these umbrellas and, and they say the Meredith Vieira show. And I still have them. And my friend the other day was kidding me and said, you probably shouldn't put those out anymore because it looks very desperate. (laughs) Or that you're senile. (laughs) Either way, it just doesn't ring true. I I would put him in the front yard. Put him in the front yard. Let everybody know. (laughs) Take that, NBC. (laughs) Now, is this before or after The View? This was after The View. I was with The View for nine years. No, yeah. Nine years, and then I and I got the offer to be of the Today Show co-host yeah. with Matt, and was then that, I did that. Was that easy? Oh, I mean, were you kind of ready to leave The View at that point? Yes and no. My contract was up, and I probably would not have left. I was doing The View and Millionaire, the syndicated version of mm-hmm. Millionaire back then, and I really liked both. Yeah, um, there there were there was work, but they weren't heavy lifting. Um, millionaire mostly because you did five shows a day, so that was a bit of a grind, but. Um, I still liked it. Yeah. It wasn't the kind of homework that would come with a news job. Uh, so I wasn't looking to leave, but uh, I got a call from Jeff Zucker who said, I'd like to meet you. And I thought, well, I, I don't really have time. I go from, from uh, the view right to millionaire. He said, I'll pick you up. Jeff was the head of NBC. Mm-hmm. And so he picks me up in this car with tinted windows. I'll never forget that. It was like, ooh, very. It's like a like, mafia dog. Oh, it was very much yeah, like, yeah. whoa, I might not ever emerge from this car. I don't know this man. <laughs> and I get in the back. He's in the back. And um, on that ride over from ABC to um, The View to the the uh, studio for Millionaires, only like 10 blocks or something. Yeah. He says to me, people don't know this yet, but Katie Couric is leaving the show. I said, oh, and he said, we'd like you to replace her. And I and I said, which is sort of I kick myself that I said this because it's so um, 
ageist and, and it really was inappropriate for me to say or to think. But I said, aren't you skewing a little old? And he said, I'm looking for talent. Said, and I'm glad that you've had experience. Uh, so he was great. I said, yeah. okay. I said, look, I'm not really into um, morning stuff at all. But um, he said, well, just think about it. Think about it. And my daughter was in um, uh, Secret Garden. She did a lot of theater. She was a little kid then. And, and, I, and I mentioned that to him that she was in this play and I was going to go that weekend or something. And he sent flowers to me with something that referenced secret garden. I thought this guy's smart. He's really clever the way he operates. And then I sat down with Richard and I thought about, I said, you know, normally I wouldn't do this, but it's the today show. And when will I get this opportunity? And I, I don't want to kick myself later. And I had been nine years with a view and, you know, it was very comfortable, like a pair of slippers yeah. But it wasn't a challenge. But I went to one of the bosses at The View at the time and I and because I wasn't signing the contract, I was waiting. And he asked me, you know, he said, you, you got to do this now. And I said, I'm not quite ready. And he said, well, wh- how, where else are you going to get a job at your age? Interesting. Oh, yeah. And I said, I already knew, but he didn't know. And I said, oh, my God, I don't know. I don't know. What am I going <laughs> to do? I played this like that. Oh, maybe you're right. And he's, and or she, I don't want to out this person, right, but anyway. Sure. Um, and within a couple of days, the news broke. I had taken the job. So yeah, yeah. Embarrassed. <laughs> and oh, then, that's, that's sweet, though. That's no, sweet it was to play a coy. It's great like, when you know oh, something. Where will I go? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where? Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Although and he apologized. Fun. He said, look, I, in the moment I was freaking out. And I, and I said, well, I wouldn't pull that on anyone else because I yeah. should have actually gone to human resources. But was this a person I liked? And I just went, eh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, I should, probably should have said something. But anyway, and then yeah. I was at today for five years and realized I was right when I said I don't like mornings. I loved the show, <laughs> but I didn't like the hours at all. Oh, yeah. You had to get up at like four o'clock in the morning. No, I was up at two because I'm not. Oh, Wow. Because I would, a lot of your stories would change. So whatever you thought you were going to be doing, there'd be breaking news. So your morning, you're suddenly interviewing somebody you didn't realize. And you've got to, you know, you, I would get up literally, lie on the bathroom floor and turn on my phone. And I'd just see all the hits, you know, wow. of uh, this story, this story, this interview, that interview. And spend the next couple of hours just reading through the, all of those emails and then leave for work at four. But, uh, you know, I just... I could never turn it off that show. I, I would mm. leave. And by three o'clock, you're already in preparation mode again. And I was the type of person that prepared as much for a Martha Stewart interview as I did for a Barack Obama interview. Yeah, you know, I yeah. couldn't. In some ways, I thought the the simpler the the segment. And I don't mean and that's not to denigrate Martha, but, you know, the more it's kind of straightforward. Politics is more complicated. I thought, boy, maybe you should even be spending more time in that to make it more interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that was my rationale. And then I never went to bed before 1130. So I was getting basically no sleep uh, and I couldn't I couldn't survive on that. So yeah, after yeah. four years, I said, I'm leaving. And then he asked if I would stay one more. And I did. And I have nothing negative to say about yeah. my experience there. It was it was great. But yeah, there. And, but you don't have anything left for your family when you're no, doing, exactly, you know, exactly. You, you put yourself into a position that you had already not you'd already chosen to not be in. That's exactly right. I did. Yeah. I, that was the one time I kind of went against my instincts. Yeah. And uh, and it well, and then the 60 was also I, I was shaken. I just couldn't resist that one. Sort of like I couldn't resist today. show. But mm-hmm. eventually your true self uh, reappears and stuff. Yeah. And 
I, you know, the, the offer to stay was substantial financially. Yeah. I thought, well, if I stay just for that, what's what's the point? Yeah. Now, sometimes I go, you don't, what do you mean? What's the point? <laughs> you didn't get the point. <laughs> You'd have the a pile of cash, more cash to sit on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Once yeah. again, the idiot savant <laughs> emerges just the idiot part. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah, and I'm really glad. I, I And yeah. I've been, and part of the thing that's worked to my advantage, having all these different kinds of uh, experiences in news and talk and game is that. I wear a lot of hats, which means I have a lot of opportunities I might not have had had I just stuck to one thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, now tell me when they come to you and say, we want you to host Millionaire. How does, you know, the classy broadcast journalist handle that offer? That's what what some of my friends said. What are you thinking? Yeah. Um, Well, when the syndicated version was ready to launch, Regis didn't want to do it. He said, I'm not interested in that. So I, Michael knew my work and he contacted me and he said, we would love to have you do it. And so I haven't really done any game. And he said, well, yeah, but I, we think you'd be really good at it. You're smart. You're funny, blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of said, why not? I had watched the show with our family had watched the show since we just started it. We loved it on Sunday nights. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was great, a great show and, and, and an opportunity to do something different. It was, and it's, it's a smarty pants show. You it's, know, it's, yeah, it's a classy yeah, show. You know, yeah, it's yeah. not, uh, you know, it's not a, a, a dum-dum show. Right. Um, exactly. And so, yeah, you know, it's cause I mean, and I've had that, I mean, I've hosted a, a few, Michael Davies. Michael Davies. Michael thank Davies. You. Oh, um, please apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I've done, I've done some game shows that were, you know, I I actually hosted uh, a pilot for Pyramid that was huh. for CBS that was supposed to go in a block with The Price is Right, Let's Make a Deal, and then Pyramid. So because they had, you know, they wanted to do this because one of the soap operas was going off the air. Right, right. And it was between us um some kind of talk, daytime talk showy thing with Emerald. Uh, and then um, the talk, which was the show that Les Moonves, it was like his wife's fourth or fifth job. And guess which one they went with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what, Andy? I feel like I sort of screwed you inadvertently because he, Les had offered me the, the role of head of Big Brother, you know, the host of Big Brother way yeah, back yeah. then. Right. And I said, I'm not interested in that. Oh, I'm sorry. And he was the head of CBS at the time. And so that's how he got to meet his future wife. Oh, boy. And he said, Thanks I'm so glad lot. you turned that job oh. <laughs> down, Meredith, because that's how I met I'd, my future wife. I still have a money tree in my backyard if you hadn't done that. <laughs> well, no, so, it was funny. I'm so, but now we're connected. I didn't know this. That's our six degrees. <laughs> it was It was really fun. I mean, you know, like uh, Betty White was on. Julie you know, I got, to do, yeah. I got to do it, uh, you know, a few because we did a few episodes of it. And it was really good. And I just remember Nina Tassler, who was the head of the network, uh, in a press conference when they announced the talk, which I don't even think they'd shot a show yet. They just <laughs> put up a camera in a conference room and had them sit around talking. <laughs> and they were pressing her about like, well, how is the talk, 
you know, you know what what sets it apart? What it, you know, how is it, uh, you know, unique or anything? And, and I guess she kind of finally went, "Look, it's just the view, okay? It's just our, <laughs> it's just the view." Like she got annoyed because I had heard that she kind of wanted the game show instead. So, oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah. she was awesome. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, now, um, you know, then you, you know, transfer transferring that into like doing more game shows. I mean, how does that feel just sort of personally? Like, how do you feel living the life of of a game show host as opposed to this, you know, demanding world of a broadcast journalist? Well, to be totally honest with you right now, the way the world is, I could go either way. Maybe it's the best time to be a journalist or an extremely difficult time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, I go... uh, into uh, bad places every day. You know, I, I spend too it's much time tough. on the internet. Yeah. It's and tough. It's, it's very depressing. It's very um, challenging. And I watch, I, did a lot, I, did. I watch a lot less news than I used yeah. to because I, I just, do too. I can't, you no, know, it's my mental health is yeah. really struggling with all of it as is everybody's I'm sure. Yeah. So I did it. You know, we look at it like, you know, I I'm 68 years old. I'll be 69 in uh, December. I've lived a very rich life professionally. I've done a lot of things. I, I think there are times for certain in your life mm-hmm. for certain things. And I'm not, my head really isn't there right now. I like, I like sort of dipping my toes into all different sorts of things. And I, if I see a project that looks interesting to me, I don't care if it's game or documentary or whatever it is. Um, uh, I'm I'll take a second look. And when yeah. Stephen Brown offered me this job, I thought, you know, well, I did the pilots or the the summer shows mm-hmm. before we knew there'd be uh, uh, 25 words or less a uh, pickup. And I, I really liked the people. I thought the game was fun. It is um, fun. It is fun. I, I, I like Steven a lot. I respected him. I knew syndication from just my own experiences could be a total bitch and a beast and, and a, a very tough place to be. Yeah. But I thought, hey, why not? Yeah, you know, that, I remember that summer shooting those fifteen shows, and I we would drive up to this lot in, uh, I guess it's Hollywood, and all the buildings were pink, and uh-huh. and I, you know, I've I've drunk the Kool Aid of L.A. I love L.A. Yeah, I, yeah. I love the business, and um, uh, I love Lucy's set was right there. The That's, sound I was, was going to it's Sunset Gower, I think. Yes. The, yeah, yeah. And I would think, wow. Yeah. I, at this point in my career to just have this experience is really cool. I yeah. never had that kind of experience yeah. and I just rolled with it. I thought I'm not, I'm not embarrassed. I, I think it's great. And I bring as much intensity to that, the job of being a, a game show host as I would anything else. Right. And as much integrity because I I'm proud of it and I want it to be as good as it can be. And, and I appreciate the people who watch it and the people like you who've participated um, because it's not always easy to get folks to come on board. And, and mm-hmm. so thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm it's and it's, you're also really good at it, which it's, helps. It, no, it's fun. It's and I, you know, I'm, I tell people it's a fun game. Like, I, yeah. you know, I'm getting paid to go play a word game. Yeah. I, I mean, I just love playing. And they're also, too, there's something that when you help somebody win money, you know, like, like not necessarily life changing money, but like year changing money. You know, like totally. they're going to have a much better year this year than they did. I remember I was actually on the uh, Michael Strahan pyramid, and the contestant uh, uh, th- that I was in the final thing with, she actually 
she said one of the words and screwed up her chances. So I was like relieved that I didn't do it. But her consolation prize was a Disney cruise. And while they're doing, you know, the, the video clip package and you'll be spending six days and nights or whatever, she went, oh, my God, those things are so expensive. My yeah. kids are going to be so happy. And it, I felt like that's just, that's better than the money, you know, because she totally. probably would have probably would have spent the money on property taxes or something, you know, whereas <laughs> like th- this was a. Disney cruise, you know. Yeah, exactly. Something she probably would never do. Yeah, so, because it's so exorbitant. Yeah, it's like it's a it's a very it's a real nice little thrill that you get from this very silly thing, you know, that you're doing. So well, I used to say that about millionaire people would ask me, "What is it about it?" And I said, "Well, first of all, it's fun. I yeah. like it. Um, yeah, yeah. I loved it. These people are so nervous when they came when they would come on set um, because they'd never been on television. Yeah. And that's where my skills as a reporter really paid off because I could draw them out. Yes. I knew how to make them feel relaxed. And yeah. so that because I wanted them to do the best job they could do. Well, I'm ribbing them, but I'm also let, letting them know you're in a safe spot here. Yeah. And I want you to feel just be confident and be yourself. And um, you're here for a reason. Yeah. And then um, after each person would leave, I was never allowed to meet them before or see them after. But I wrote everybody a note just to acknowledge, give them some affirmation about what they had done. And because it meant a lot to me and I always get emotional about this. But when I started on that show, uh, people were playing for things like a second home or a boat or something. Yeah. And then the economy went south and people were literally paying to get their kids a tuition paid yeah. or like you said, a property tax or whatever. They, they needed this money desperately and it meant so much to them. And I thought, God, what a job I have. Well, yeah. I mean, if you want a humility, that's where it comes in. Yeah, you're yeah. helping change somebody's life, whether in your case, it, the Disney cruise, which has changed her and her family, giving them such a, a great experience or something like just, I don't have to worry about my kids' tuition. Yeah. That's, so I, that's how I look at the shows that I've done, the game shows. They're fun, yeah. they're game, they have their place, but they also can literally change lives. Yeah. And they yeah. bring joy to somebody. Like they, they call their friends and family, I'm on, I'm on TV. Right, That's right. cool. Right. I don't ever take that for granted. Exactly. Yeah. Well, now, um, what, where are you going next? <laughs> what, what's, 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 I, done enough. <laughs> I think the next well, is just say, sitting on the couch. <laughs> I the next <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I don't you want know. to wish that. <laughs> yeah, no, of course not. And you're going to be around uh, forever. Actually, and honestly, I'm shocked when you said your age, yeah, I, I, that's it. That's that, that number's too high. For, well, for knowing, knowing you, okay. seeing you, uh, that number's too high. But I well, know that's because I'm what very is, immature. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good but, thing. That's yeah, a good oh, thing. totally. Yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. never want to lose that goofiness. Right. Um, well, I just did talk about doing things that uh, look like fun. Peacock is getting into this whole area of comedy shows. And they just did a, um, a pilot with John Berlant and Kate. Kate Berlant and John Early. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. who are fantastic. They're hilarious. And they're hilarious. And they invited me to be play myself, but in a crazy role of version of myself as the, the news anchor that has bagged the first interview with these two. They were a comedic duo who had a falling out and they've come back together yeah. after 20 years. And I loved it. I said, yeah. absolutely, I'll do that. And, you know, we went back to 30 Rock, and which was fun and in the, the NBC studios. And I met them and they're charming and I just had to do a session. I'm sure you've done this, but I had never done, done it where they play you, you know, and then you have to redub yourself. Oh, yeah. And it has to ADR. Match and, it's called ADR. Yeah. Okay. And that yeah. was 
And I came home, I said, oh, I just did something I'd never done before. That's cool. Yeah, that is great. <laughs> yeah. So those kinds of things, when things come to me that I'm interested in, uh, if it all pans out, I'm, I'm all for trying different stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, then the, the final of the, the three questions. Oh, will know. this ever end? Okay, Jesus. I just, look, you stood me up once. So I know. I'm so sorry. I'm punishing you. I don't think we had this sign when we started. Oh, yeah. no one's going to see this. But yeah. I did stand up, Andy, last uh, week. I was supposed to be on his show. And I forgot. And I'm so sorry. That was disgusting. It was so fine. I, wrote a, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it, was, it wasn't great, but it was okay. You know, it well, happens. I noticed that your audience can't see, but you're in your bedroom. So you figured I'm not going to no, walk exactly. too far for this chick. No, no. <laughs> I'm Look, not driving some, anywhere. Sometimes I do it in the living room. Oh, so, okay, you know, okay. Sometimes well. I do go all the way out there, depending <laughs> on, you know, whether the dog's home or not. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, I wrote this on a piece of paper and I stuck it on my fridge. It says 12 noon Tuesday, which is when we're shooting this, May 31st. Yeah. Podcast with Andy Richter. Don't forget, underline. <laughs> I wasn't going to screw you again. You no, didn't. I didn't. Thank God. <laughs> well, what's, uh, what, what's the, uh, you know, the, the, the life lesson you've learned that you feel you can share, uh, you know, I mean, just, you know, it could be, you know, eat more greens like pistachio ice cream if you want. But. <laughs> well, that that is a life lesson because uh-huh. I did get a child out of it <laughs> um, and about 70 pounds. But who's counting? Um, Robert Frost has this wonderful poem, The Road Not Taken. And it's about two roads diverged in the yellow wood. And he took the one less traveled. Um, and I have done that a lot in my career. I have followed my heart and my gut. And I think that that's, that has served me well. And I always tell people that um, when I'm mentoring, particularly young people, I say, listen to your gut. It usually will steer you right. Very rarely does it steer you wrong. And you have to be attuned to it. Don't be afraid of it. And if that means you do something that other people say, no, you're getting off the treadmill, you're getting off for a reason. You may not totally understand it at the time, but you're getting off for a reason. And that's where you discover yourself. It's on those roads that, that that are less traveled. Well, thank you so much for, you know, traveling down this road. Uh, that's, <laughs> and that's, I did leave my bedroom. I came downstairs to my dining room. I can, I can see. I can see you. Yeah. You're dressed. You combed your hair. You're way beyond me. So, uh, well, Meredith, thank you so much for taking oh, the time with me. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's, and we have never met. Uh, well, I mean, not for years have we met yeah. personally, but, uh, you know, definitely we need to to dine uh, together because yes. that would, would be really that. fun. I would yeah, love that. So, and I think I, your podcast is phenomenal. It's so good. Oh, thank you so Because you really much. are great. At, at, it's not an interview show. It's really a conversation. And I I always learn something from it. It's really, really good. Oh, that's so nice of you. Thank you so much. Yeah, this one I, may not be that great, but overall, I'd <laughs> no, say they, this is this was I you know that was when I was looking at the clock I was like oh geez we gotta wrap it up but this is all so interesting um well anyway thank you so much again and thank all of you out there for listening and uh we will be back uh next week with someone that won't be nearly as interesting <laughs> I could have told you that <laughs> <laughs> bye bye got a big big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. 
Can't you tell my love's a Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 